This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And oh my god, we're on tour. It's like when England, when they were at Wembley and Wembley's being rebuilt, and the team went around the country. The Besotted podcast is going around, well, going around London anyway. We moved out of our West London and Central London stronghold and we've headed up north, far, deep, deep north. We're actually right beside. People remember it called the Town and Country. You remember Treble, don't you? I remember the Town and Country Club well. I remember going to see my brother-in-law play there. That's right. So listen, we're in North London, Kentish Town, the Forum, and I'll be joined by a load of Beast fans, North London Beast fans. One lesson, boy. Well, I'm Billy Grant, and I'm joined here by Greville Waterman. How are you doing? I'm great, Billy. I'm glad you've come to somewhere sensible, finally. Uh, uh, sensible? I mean, I, I live in this part of London, so I know it's sensible. Forget listen. about Lionel Road. Let's move to Barnet. That's right. Listen. So, listen, we've also got Ian Westbrook as well. Ian, how are you doing? I'm fine, Billy. Yeah, it's good to see you. That's good, and good to see yourself. Mr. Everyone knows this man, the Matt Allard. Yeah, hi Billy. Um, I'm also an old, an old face. I used to go to the Town and Country Club, and I, I remember the very pub we were in very well from those days. And I think it had sawdust on the floor in those days. It was, That's a, right. it was, um, it was quite a, quite a place for a little beer before you went up there. That's right. It's a little bit posh now, isn't yeah, it? It is changed yeah. quite. It probably wasn't as bad as I, as I'm, tr- as I'm thinking it was. But comparing it to this, it was proper. That's rough. right. And then we've got another bee in the house, Mr. Darren Coyle. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, Billy. Thanks for having us along. Great to be here. Thanks for bringing it north and, uh, you know, up in the class of the uh, establishment that we're meeting in tonight. <laughs> That's right. But listen, it's, it's nice because we put out a little request to have bees to come into the house. Bees are going to come in from all over, and this request to be on the podcast. And we've we've got three new bees on one podcast. It's like a big, it's like the Big Bang, isn't it? <laughs> so it's either going to go really well, or it's going to collapse. I say it's a bit like the first day of the season for Brentford, isn't it? <laughs> all these new faces. <laughs> so guys, listen, it's been a, an interesting week. Brentford have won four games, and then they've lost a game. Um, but there's other things that happened this week, and I just want to ask you, Greville, what's, what's come to your mind this week? What's come to my mind? Well, Brent, on a Brent perspective, I have to say that 
I was first taken as a very, very, very young child, 50 years ago, to watch Brentford. And QPR was the first game I ever saw. So to actually see us beat QPR again, I've got to be honest, it meant something. It was important. And it, it made me think a lot about family and dads and things like that, all those soppy things. It sort of over, overtook the football a bit for me. So that, that's really what it's been about for me. Cool. And if anyone doesn't know, Greville Waterman is a, a massive Brentford blogger. He writes a blog, a blog a day. If you can catch his wicked blog, your blog's called BFC Talk. BFC Talk. You can catch it. Just Google BFC Talk, or you can catch him on Twitter, catch him on Facebook. He writes about Brentford a lot. Or buy the um, book. Or you can even buy his book as well, which he's got a book out there. But you can Google that. You can find that out. But Greville, he, he writes about Brentford a lot. Also, we've got Mr. Ian Westbrook. I'm just want to know about you. What came to your mind this week, mate? Well, apart from the QQ and Hull games, it was noticing how well Josh. Clark's doing at Barnet. He scored again on Saturday, made a goal. He saw the goal on the Football League programme. Yes. He ran from the halfway line to score Barnet's second. I think he scored three and four games now. Yeah. So I wonder what's going to happen when he comes back in January. If he's keep, I know it's only League Two, the experience he's getting. I know he was in the team before he went. And my uncle's a season to get hold of Barnet. He said, Clark's been lousy defending, but great going forward. Yeah. You know, he's going to be pushing That's for a place if he carries on yeah. like this. Yeah, so. which, which is good. I mean, I was actually yeah. guilty. I was actually loitering outside Barnet on, on Saturday afternoon, as, uh, as Coyley there knows. I didn't actually go into the game. I was sort of kind of just like sort of kind of perusing in the bar and everything like that, just seeing what's going on. And I did hear Clark's goal go in. I didn't know it was Clark at the time until I came back in the car and some of our crew told me it was actually Clark that scored. But... For me, I think it's a great move that he has gone yeah. to Barnet because he's going to get the experience that he wouldn't get at Brentford. Kind of like what Dallas did when he went to Northampton. Remember, yeah. we met a Wolves fan who's, who lived in Northampton. He said, you've got this Dallas. And we went to Northampton. He was absolutely rubbish. And then he's come out to Brentford. And he's brilliant. How do you do it? Yeah. So hopefully it'll be the same thing with Clark. So. But anyway, Coily, Darren, tell me something that's going on for you this week. Listen, it's, uh, I'm, I'm backing up Grove here. It's, it's the QPR game. Um, just, you know, the, the nature, the, the, the way we went about our business, the way we outclassed a Premier League, a former Premier League team, and uh, the way that uh, the celebrations went long into the night afterwards down in Brentford. <laughs> As you, well, you talk about the fact that we left the pub at quarter to three in the morning. Something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't quite remember the uh, last few hours of it, but it was, it was great nonetheless. That's right. And Mr. Allard, for yourself... Um, the hangover Saturday morning, um, and also I think this is a week where we've um, we've, we've risen to the heights and we've been brought back down a little bit to, to maybe reality, and um, and I think we we may be starting to get a bit of a feel where we actually sit in this league. I'm not sure if we knew that before, but I think after the two games this week, I've sort of started to see where whereabouts we fit. And, and where is that? I think it's probably outside the playoffs. But um, well above the relegation zone, and that's another way of saying mid-table. <laughs> I think you're a fair enough point there. So listen, talking about the whole game, talking about the QPR game, we're going to discuss that in a minute. But I think it's best to go back to the night where people had a lot of passions and told us exactly what they thought of the game. I've waited 50 years for this. I was a young teenager when I last saw Brentford beat QPR 6-1 in that first game uh, in 65, in the 65 season, 61, I waited 50 years for this. 50 years! 50 years! I can't believe it! And we won! Uh, good quality possession football. Q 
QPR had, in fairness, we let off them twice and they had two chances and they hit the woodwork twice. Other than that, they were they had nothing. There was no, there was really, there was no threat. I, th I, th I think Brentford controlled the game pretty much from start to finish. They, they had a couple of chances. They they did go close. I didn't see anything from Rangers to be to be overly worried about. I, before the game, I was a bit like you know you, you'd hope we would win, but you, you, you thought you know surely that they had a bit more quality about them. They, they didn't have any quality about them really. They were just an average Championship team build, and um, you know. What a goal. Jurison, you know, a proper poacher bill. You know, he, we, we have got there a, a player that can score goals at the highest level for us. If we give him if we give him the service, that cross for his goal, it deserved it deserves to be the winner. Okay. I, I don't think QPR contributed anything today to either the, the atmosphere um, or, or the match particularly. I don't, I don't I didn't feel like a London uh, West London derby. They they didn't they, they they got what they deserved. They they deserved to get beat. I'm sorry. So, like, for, for instance, you saw us play at Derby where we were pretty abject there, weren't we? Absolutely abject. But the confidence flowing through the team now. Carsley back to the favoured 4-5-1 formation. And he's got players playing together. Yunaris so high in confidence now with Woods in front of him. Spot on. And Judgy, let's hope that hamstring tweak he got tonight doesn't hold him back. Absolutely on fire. Making everything for the bees at the moment. What, what really gets my tits is when Brentford fans give it all that about being beating QPR. We're not we're not an ambitious team. We're not a big team to beat at the end of the day. We give it to Chelsea. I'm sure Brentford give it to Chelsea because they're an ambitious team to beat. As much as we hate them, they've done shit. They've done stuff in their life. They've done stuff as a club. QPR are as shit as Brentford. I'm sorry, we're both mediocre teams that haven't really done anything in our whole history. We're a championship team, we're a lower league team. We've got an 18,000 plus grand. We're not anywhere, we're not going anywhere really. All the talk pre-season about consolidation and like getting mid-table. Now that we're 10th or 11th or 12th, whatever, we're mid-table. We're doing well with consolidation. QPR fans aren't happy with that, and I think I'm I'm part of the I'm part of the group of fans that don't get that. I'm happy where we are. Where we are, we're mid-table. We're consolidating. We're bringing through youth. I'm happy with that. It's down to the boss man, I think. It's down to Ramsey. Um, there's no shape, there's no system, there's no passion, there's no idea. And I think that's where the buck stops. You know, the last, the last 15 minutes of the first half, we got on top. We look good. You should come out of the second half galvanised and we fell away. Fell away, we gave up. Disappointed. Oh, second half. Second half, that's just all out. I thought first half. I'm actually arguing with the lads here because they're saying that uh, I, I thought Brentford had more chances first half. Um, but we got away with it. Second half, it's only one team in it. I thought once we got the first goal and then we brought, De you know, we've got that luxury of bringing on players like Diarmi and Huddleston. It's just you know, quality in it. You bring guys on like that and then Diarmi just, he made the second goal. Fantastic. Yeah, we matched them for, what was it, three quarters of the game. I thought they did to, to us what we did to Rangers uh, on Friday night. We uh, ran the legs off Rangers in the last 20 minutes and uh, denied them the ball. They did exactly the same to us. They played, uh, they closed us down. They played very effectively and 
actually, they should have got more than two goals, really. They should have got three or four. A couple of good saves, a couple of bad misses. But uh, not disappointed. This is what the standard that we're going to have to achieve if we want to get up to um, the Premiership at some point. Yeah, I think, I think we've got to learn our lesson from, from last year. I think if we're going to be an experienced championship team, we look back and saw how it was. When we lost, we regrouped and, and went again. We just Last year, was a, it was a sequence of little mini runs. Um, we had the five games. We haven't, we haven't managed to match the five games last year. We've done four. We've lost one, and then we'll go again. And, you know, as we've seen, it's better to do win-win defeat than draw, 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 draw. You know, it's about getting maximum, as many points as we can. And, uh, you know, we've just got to take stock of you know, where, how far we've come in a couple of weeks um, and then have confidence in that. We go to Blackburn, who aren't on brilliant form, um, and we just got to piece it back together. So, interesting views from the fans from those two games. It's quite... What was interesting about it is that people were actually, even off the whole game, they were kind of cool about it. it was, they were resigned. It's almost like the QPR game had kind of like just ridded any evil that might happen. And they, they accepted the fact that Hull came down there. In the second half, they outdid us, and, and we accepted it. It is cool. You've got the ice man over there. He's shaking the ices as you can hear, but don't you worry about that. <laughs> the mojitos are on their way, though. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, boys, like, let's just talk about these games because, you know, sometimes we gloss over this a little bit. But, you know, this QPR game, we've not beaten them for 50 years. Um, very important. I mean, the Bees rode their luck a little bit in the first half. Luongo, as we know him from Swindon, very good player. And they hit the Whitbrook twice in, in the first half. Some QPR fans said, you know, if we had got those two goals, it would have been a different game. Maybe it may have been, maybe we don't know. But the second half, QPR failed to, to rise and failed to threaten us, and we, we took the game to them, really, didn't we? You know, um, the Loft for Words report, and that's a very good, um, very good QPR blog, Loft for Words, they said that they failed to capitalise in the first half when they should have done, and the B should have scored more in the second half, is what they said. You know, so if we had, you know, they felt if we had scored force, you know, it could have been three or four goals. QPR game, boys, I mean, what, what are you saying? Well, what I love is the fact is actually we stepped up to the plate. We didn't blow it on the big occasion. We played a very sensible game. And for the last half, the last 20 minutes, we have set them for 1-0. Under Warburton, we'd have gone kamikaze, and we might have won 4-0. We might have lost 2-1. Under Carsley, we just played the ball in behind them. We played a very, very clever game after, after we scored. And frankly, QPR were a rabble. They were a long ball rabble. And I thought they were a disgrace. You know, I... This is this is what this is one of the one of my memories from the last the last ten minutes was their most potent attacking force was um, J. Manuel Thomas long throws. Now now I seem to remember three or four years ago we tried that with Clayton Donaldson. And if we go back to that, shoot me. QPR fans weren't happy with that. If you look at them as Gwen, they're very unhappy with it because they think that they're very one-dimensional. And the fact that they think that the long throw is what we, the only thing that we've got, yeah. you know, the Rory Delap type style activity, you know, they're very, very unhappy about it. Um, Ian, I mean, I know that you were obviously very, very happy with the result and, uh, and Gregor talked about, you know, how we... I mean, what's your thoughts? I just thought it was, it was a fantastic night. Um, the point Griffin makes about going kamikaze last year, you know, Wolves maybe would have brought on Canos to sub. Um, Kazi didn't do that. He had a more sort of defensive side of substitution. The atmosphere was great. I thought second half we definitely deserved the win. You know, 
to old Brentford, as it were. Charlie Austin came on. He thought, okay, he's going to score. Didn't happen. We kept him out. Didn't have that much to do. Even with five minutes stoppage time, they didn't really cause a threat. They never put us under a period of pressure. At all. No, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to ask you though. We talk about the kamikaze effect, or the, you know, we remembered when we used to get the ball, bang, 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 passing the ball around. Before you know it, you're going all really mental, and it's really exciting. Don't you miss that in a way? I mean, like, didn't you expect when you saw that? You think, oh my god, Brentford back, the old days of Brentford. Don't you miss that? Not really, to be honest. You know, I think we've we've all been there, and uh, this is this is where it really matters now. It's time to feel like it really matters in the championship. We know that we're with a shout of doing something special in this league and pushing on within three years the promised land, as we've been told. Um, you know, the QPR game itself. I just felt that you know we, we had a solidity about us that I hadn't seen for a long time. I mean, we we went before that whole game that that whole goal went in second half the other no, uh, last night. We'd gone something crazy like 400 something minutes without conceding. I've never seen us look that solid under Warburton and uh, it was an absolute pleasure to see never in any doubt um, the sort of atmosphere carried the team through I think it also intimidated the QPR lot I think to an extent as well um, they had 1,400 fans with them but didn't really hear them to be honest particularly in that last last 20 minutes no we're going to talk about atmosphere in a minute but I know Matt you've got to pick up on a little point here as well didn't you um, I, to be honest I think the last few games that Chris Parson that we saw under Warburton's back um, and um, I think we look going forwards there are times when we we, we, we may not be going Pause as much, and maybe we make the odd—I don't know—maybe we make the odd more, you know, the odd mistake more than we did. But but the crisp passing that, and I didn't see it under Jurison at all. And for me, I'm sorry, not under Jurison, under Dijkhausen. I always say that. Um, um, it, it, it was up at Mid- Middlesbrough. We have to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, yeah. We, yeah. 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 to some extent. But, but, but it's more. I can see it most. I can see it every week now. That crisp passing's back, and it's all about, you know, for me that just keep the ball moving. That's what's important. But if you if you think back, let's all have a nightmare, collective nightmare. Think back to that goal kick against Bolton Wanderers and how what how we managed without one of their players touching the ball for the last second to create a goal out of nothing. Under Carsley, we still play out from the back, but we get the ball forward quicker. And we are less we are more risk averse now. And he's stopped taking ridiculous chances. All right, happened once yesterday with Tarkowski, where Hernandez took him to the cleaners 25 yards out. But we've cut that back, and I think Carsley has got it into them, play football in the right places. I'm going to, I'm going to actually be devil's advocate here, because part of the issue with Uwe Rosler, who again, I'm going to put my end up saying, Uwe loved him as a manager, really great, took us from one level to another level, one of the problems with Uwe was that he was too risk averse. So all of a sudden, is that what you're saying is that, oh, we're going back to where we were before. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. No, I'm, just I'm saying it's a question of balance. <laughs> it's a question of precaution. And Uwe was afraid of his own shadow, unless, not have, unless we want to have a half an hour debate on him. But Carsley, to me, is looking like the best of all possible worlds, in that I totally agree. There's some slick, one-touch football. But, you know, we're not Pritchard, we haven't got Judge, we haven't got Judge last night, we haven't got Potter at the moment, but we're doing the best with what we've got. We're still a bit weak up front, but we are beginning to create things. We created four very good chances against the best team in the league last, well, last night. So we're getting in the right place, but we are also cutting out the chaos at the back. 
I think it's been a bit of a mixture. I think I've noticed a lot more. We have been come, passing out from the back and passing it across the front penalty area. Also long kicks from David Button. But a lot of the kicks from Button are just going into touch and we're losing possession. So actually playing out from the back, at least we're keeping the ball more. Um, which I think, you know, is a compliment. With this team at the moment, what I'm noticing, I think back to Carson's playing career, I think about what the job he did for Everton, the job he did for Derby, uh, the job he did for Ireland, just sitting in front of that back four and shielding. I see his influence, I don't know what he's doing on the training ground, but Toombs and um, Alan Judge, in partic- uh, Alan McCormack in particular, they're, they're, they're playing phenomenally. There, there's got to be a, a stamp of um, Carsley on that team that, that is coming through in terms of the way they're playing, the crisp passing, the solidity all the way from the back, right up to the front. Um, that's his influence. There's no worry about it. And let's, I mean, let's talk about managers now for the QPR game. I mean, it's interesting because the papers called it a naive defeat for QPR. You know, so they talked about Ramsey and they said he was naive in the way that he lost to us. But the question I was going to say to you is that, I'm not being funny, but... Um, Ramsey's actually a more experienced manager than Carsley. So what they what, what are they saying here? I mean, it's not naive. I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of know what you're doing and you don't know what you're doing. And it's interesting with Carsley, you know, he talked about the whole game and he said, like, I expected that like, whole would blow out after 60 minutes and they didn't. God shows what I know about football. He sort of kind of laughed. So I think these things are kind of a little bit, you know, you, know, you, you throw these things and you maybe overthink them a little bit. But talk about Lee Carsley now. You know, just coming back to him, to the other people, and we, you know, we've got a new manager search going on because he isn't the, he doesn't believe that he's the right person for the job. But you know, we've come back to this and about how he's done what he's doing and how he's moving things forward and whether or not he might change his mind over six months. I mean, Matt, what have you got to say about that? My thinking is is that Lee Carsley is probably exactly the type of coach that they want at the club because I get the impression what all Lee Carsley wants to do is coach a football team and I think that is how they see the head coach role when I say when I see they I mean the hierarchy within the club and I think it's kind of it's almost ironic they've probably found the guy they want but he may not actually want the job I'm not saying I'm not saying he doesn't he doesn't want the job for the same reasons Warburton didn't want the job but I, I, I think that you know that they want the head coach someone that coaches the first team it's interesting the, the way the dynamic works actually I didn't realise with Carsley and uh, it, it's actually a two man team here because Carsley actually does the off the ball stuff and it's actually Williams who does the on the ball stuff with them you know? so it, it's a bit of a duo thing going on here and maybe you can't we all talk about Carsley but maybe we need to talk about these two guys as a unit yeah I, I think um I think it's quite interesting because William's role before this at the club was something about organising. What was it? The logistics, logistics manager. manager. And actually, I'd have. I, I also would have expected because Williams was a he was a centre back, was he not? I would have expected it to be the other way round in terms of. And when I heard this on when I heard this this discussed on um, on the on the TV, I actually wondered if they'd got it the wrong way round because I would have thought that. That, that maybe he would be the um, the coach for the off the ball stuff, but it seems to be working. And maybe, as you say, they are a two man team. But all I all I can say is, you know, you hear all sorts of rumours scuffle about, and all, everything I hear, and of course you've got to discount most of it, is that it's their happy bunnies at the training grounds. The sessions are sharp. The sessions are well organised. They respect the two of them. You know, they're all right. They respected Warburton, but there is something to say. You know, put your caps on the table. We've got forty of them. They feel that they're working hard. They feel the players feel that they they're being organised, 
and you can see they're working harder, they're pressing higher up the pitch, they're fitter. Now, they, they had a boot camp during the last um, international break, and literally the question of how well they performed predicated how many days off they got. So they worked very hard, and I think that some of the players were felt that they were going a bit soft under Guy Cowles and they weren't being worked hard enough, they weren't being told what to do. Players like structure, they like organisation. And I think they've got it, and I think that he's bought us time. And the key thing is, even if we knew, even, even if uh, Benham and his guys know, knew who the new manager is that they want, he probably isn't available to the end of the season. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And who knows what might happen. At the moment, the players love him. And look at the results. Which is, which is good. I mean, and talking about commitment there, in effect, you're talking about the commitment. Let's, I mean, let's talk about the commitment of these players. I thought it was very encouraging as well. This is what we wanted. My fear was about three weeks ago, was I like, oh my God, QPR's coming. We're going to get bashed up by QPR on our own turf. You know, if we if we lost every other game but one of the QPR, that's good enough for me. But, well, other than Philip. Um, but it, it, so that was the fear. But all of a sudden, is that we came into it, Carsley put into them saying, you know about this game, you know about this game, him, Peter Gillen, everybody told him. And Button said after the match how much it meant to the players. Woods was saying, Oh my god, what an unbelievable atmosphere. Everyone was just like going on about it. But also interesting because we got a little bit of info that um Cherry, who is the QPR player, who's the Dutch player as well, been signed fairly recently. You know, we know somebody who went down the training ground and apparently he had no idea about the Brentford derby. He had no idea that this was a big game. Apparently they hadn't instilled it into them or anything like that. So it just goes to shift difference between the two sides. And I think that is so important about this commitment because, you know, that, that gets you points, doesn't it? Oh, it does, absolutely. I mean, going back to that point about QPR, look, they were they were playing Man United this time last season. They were playing Liverpool. They were playing in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, to come down and play a uh, little old Brentford would have been uh, a bit of a shock to the system to them. So we caught them at the absolute right time, and we, we, we spanked their ass basically. Yeah. Um, okay, 1-0, but it was actually a very convincing 1-0. Yeah. I, I just think the, the atmosphere on that, the game was tremendous. <coughs> you know, all the the build-up was actually, um, came out in the, in the night, you know, we built up the game in the right way, it all went our way. The players, a bit like the Fulham game last season, the Fulham home for both the Fulham game, but the way the players were in both those Fulham games and the QPR game, they really wanted it. People like Harley, Alan McCormack, people like that, they were so up for those games, so committed, they really knew, they knew what it meant, they knew what it meant, and the fans reacted to that, and that reaction was so good. And I know you mentioned to me about the atmosphere, and there's a bit of a kind of, you know, a, not a moot point here, but a little bit of a fear, because, you know, we love Griffin Park, we've been coming here for years, people sort of turn around to say, you, oh, you, you, you old fart, you know, you just don't want anything new, all these people, especially that have been going to football for five or ten years, go to the new spanking stadiums, they've got no idea about what it's like to stand, about the ricketiness, about the atmosphere and stuff like that, because they're used to getting their, their lovely pies and their lovely soft seats and stuff. But the fact is that there is a vibe at Brentford, and I say this week on week, again, we've come back, and the, whole, the amount of whole City fans who've tweeted us, who've messaged us, who've posted, have said, oh my God, what a brilliant stadium, what a brilliant night. Okay, they won, but forget that. Oh, the atmosphere is great, the fans were great, the pubs were great, everything about the whole place was great, which is like... Reflected in, in what this stadium gives off. And I know that you have, and I have a fear, that if we move to Lionel Road, again, we're going to mention this again, that if we lose that, that could lose us maybe 10, 15 points a season. Definitely, because a lot of these players aren't used to playing grounds like Griffin Park. They're used to the, all the identical stadiums, and exactly the same all around the country. 
you know, and what we've got, particularly under floodlights, the atmosphere is unbelievable under floodlights. It's such a, a fantastic place to watch football. Yeah. But the crowd is our 12th man. <coughs> you know, we haven't been the best team in the league for the last, you know, some of the seasons. The crowd get us over the line. Yeah. You know, under Martin Allen. And he would build it up. Yeah. The crowd were the, you know, they, they would make the Eddie Hutchinson 10 feet tall yeah. and make them play beyond themselves. Yeah. The crowd got into Francesky on Friday. Mm. Um, now, I don't agree with the moron who kept holding on to the ball no. too long. Some people thought he was a hero. I thought he was a dunce. You know, because it goes too far. But there's nothing wrong with the crowd making it clear that this is Griffin Park and you win here at your own risk. I have no problem with that at all. Mm. And to me, QPI is just another game. Another game in another league with which they feel they're above. Can we, can we call you Liberal Nick? <laughs> <laughs> you got you. If, if you're liberal, Nick, next thing you got to do is have a go at Harley J's. Uh, no, 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 no. That, that was last season. Yeah, that was that was old, right. that was old Rebel, and, and, and they just touch on touch on foreign players as well, oh, yeah. but not too much. But Nick, Nick, we're not talking about you behind your back anyway. Okay? We, we know you're flying somewhere very exotic, like Birmingham. But, um, but anyway, listen, talking about players now, we're just going to touch on as well because we're talking about the players and how players have improved and things have done. I mean, let's. Just pick out a couple of players there. We've got Woods, you know, and he's looking better week on week, isn't he? I think he's a wonderful footballer, and I still don't understand why people don't see how good he is. He doesn't give the ball away. His present, I, I checked out his pass success rate is about 88%. So someone will say, well, he only plays 10 yard passes. No, he doesn't. He plays 10, 20, 30 yard passes. He's got a low centre of gravity. He turns beautifully. He finds space. He wins challenges. He is a complete footballer. And I'll tell you what, in 18 months' time, we'll do very well to hang on to him. Wonderful player. You're very happy with him, obviously. Um, very impressed with him, but I'm convinced he's being played completely out of position at the moment. And he needs to come into the middle and play as one of the two in front of the back four. And I think that's his future at the club. I think, I think for the minute we've got something working with Mapper and Toons, so we'll probably stick with that until <coughs> maybe there's um, maybe somebody gets. No, I think Mapper's already had a, a hat and missed a game, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> until, he's three until, yeah, okay. Until he misses another game then, and then and then I think Woods fits in there, and then we'll see whether we can hold that position down. Alan Judge, as well as we know, I mean he was missing on. Uh, Tuesday night and it showed I mean I think if Alan Judge was playing it could have been a different game um, not knocking the players that were in there as well because they did very well but Alan Judge is a very good player who you know since um, uh, Pritchard's gone last season you've seen him step up to the plate hasn't he? Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, we, we missed him on Tuesday night against Hull, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Every goal we've scored recently, every assist has, has all seemed to have come through him. He's, um, he's been playing out of his absolute skin. Um, I hope this hamstring injury isn't too serious. We, we need him back. Um, and if we can keep him in the team, keep him fit, um, hopefully hold out then for, for the other players to come back in that we know are, are starting to knock on the door. Um, they're only going to strengthen the, 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 the squad and the team. I want to give a word of praise to Alan McCormack because I think our good run, he's played a really important part in that. In and out of the team, one of these players you thought, you know, he may not get a decent run in the championship. Last season when he played it right back to the injured, he played really well, a very important part of the team. And I think since we've started, you know, winning the last four games before last night, he's been crucial. I, he gets booked most games, I know that. But I think he's putting the steel in the midfield that we missed since Douglas has gone. 
losing Jonathan Douglas was such an important, such a big blow that we didn't have that biting midfield at all. And obviously, he crosses the line sometimes. But I think he's played a really important part in our revival. And, and another issue as well is that we, we're talking about the players and our revival and the way that we're playing as well. Um, we water the pitch at, at, before the match half time, and a lot of people get confused about why we water the pitch. And I know that you pulled up and say, what, "What the hell's going on here?" I don't understand why we do it. We, as you say, we do it before the game at half time. And Peter Gillen got drenched a few weeks ago. Players slip over. They come out first five ten minutes. They're falling all over the place. Even yesterday, even even I think near the end of the game, it was still slick. I, I... And for some reason, our players, because I, I actually thought yesterday in the second half, I thought they had the wrong studs in or something, and they'd, and they'd misread the conditions, because I couldn't believe the amount of times players toppled over in the second half, our players. And um, when I look back at the game, I should I noticed that as well. I think um, Kirsch Baumer went over when he was in a really good attacking position. Um, and, 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 yeah, OK, but, but but it wasn't just him. There was a lot of... I, I did yeah. think that, and I, maybe that is exactly why it happened. I think Inara's fell over a couple of times as well. I just well, I mean, I've done a bit of research and I've, I've got my little moles in there and apparently the reason why we actually water the pitch is because we want to get the pitch slippy because we like to play the ball fast, we like slip. to play the football. Yeah. So slip football, so it's almost a balance between us playing the fast slip football and the ball slippy that goes on with the players, you know what I'm saying? So maybe they need to work out how to combat the ball slippy so that we can play the fast slip football, but that's the reasons why. So listen, a bit of knowledge here from North London. I bet you never got this in West London, did you, you boys? So we're giving you all the knowledge. We'll be having some more knowledge after the little break here because we're going to be talking about other bits and pieces. So just moving on a little bit, but just looking back a little bit as well, whole game, we're just going to discuss this briefly because, Revel, you've got some facts and figures about the whole game, haven't you? Yeah, let's just keep things into perspective and keep things in proportion. The starting 11 for Hull City last night cost about £35 million in transfer fees. Forget about their wages. Forget about their wages. Please forget about their wages. Now, they brought on three substitutes. Now, normally... You bring on a couple of kids, a trialist, whatever. They brought on... Or a goalkeeper, even. They brought on £11 million worth of talent in Huddleston and the Army. Let's forget about the donkey Harry Maguire. Who's 2.5 million. Yeah, 2.5 million. million. More than most right. more than so, our record signing. So £45 million of talent, or so, so-called talent. Our starting 11 was about two and a half million quid. And on the subs bench, assuming Kelschbaum cost something, Hoffman, about another 1.3 million. So basically, we had about three and a half million pounds worth of players against 45. Get that into perspective. Hull's wage bill a year or so ago was 43 million pounds. Last year, they took in 66 million pounds in income from television rights. This year, they're going to get the, the, the first slug of £64 million in parachute payments. Now, a couple of months ago, people were saying, Moses on the Bantu, why is he going to Hull? We're a bigger club than them. Get a life, guys. They dwarf us. You know, so Moses is playing in a club where packed with internationals, all right, he's foregoing the delights of London to live out on the sticks there. He's going to earn probably three times his salary, probably four times his salary, and he might get a medal at the end of it. Of 
course he had to go there. We've got to get things into perspective. The fact that we actually contained them and were better than them for 45 minutes was brilliant. If you're going to lose a game, you lose it properly. And yesterday was a good loss. We had so much good up. I totally agree with what Greville says. That was the way to lose a game. The whole game was exactly a month after the Derby game. It was so bad at Derby. It was just a depressing afternoon. Like the Charlton game last season. You came out of Derby thinking, hang on, we're going to go down here if we're not careful. And that international break, Lee Carsley used that so well to get the spirit, to get the structure, organisation of the team. In just a month, we're a totally different side. And that showed last night. You came out the ground a little bit disappointed, but overall, think, OK, I'm proud of how we played tonight. We couldn't have done much more. Yeah, I'd like to agree there. I mean, you know, it, I think last night was a bit of a, or the game on Tuesday night was a bit of a leveller. Um, you know, we are going to come across teams like Hull, like Middlesbrough, um, teams that, you know, clearly have, like, better financial backing than we do. Some of the stats that Greville's quoted there, I'd like to compare those with maybe what QPR are also packing um, in terms of financial punch. You know, it, it all depends really in terms of who you're playing, what the spirit is, and the way you're set up to, to play. Hull seems to have that. Let's let's use it as a learning experience. Let's use it as a way of looking at how teams set up, shut up shop, keep teams out, and then hit them on the, on the sucker punch. Because that's what we need to do if we want to be up there in the mix to get in that Premier League. Um, <coughs> interesting hole. Um, there are probably Brentford supporters who think maybe we should model ourselves on something like that in our efforts to get into the Premier League. But um, I would beg to differ. Um, yes, they yes they nailed it last night. Um, you know, there's no doubts about that. Um, but I think most of it was the physical battle they won. When you look at it, I think Maka, Toons, Targs, and Dean were about the only four that could measure up to them physically. You all saw what happened with Yanaris, ball pumped at him over his head um, to a to a left winger that was, you know, towering over him. In towering over him, I, I I personally don't want to watch that football. What I will say about Hull is they may well get promoted this year. Um, last year. Would they have held a candle to Bournemouth or Watford? I don't think so. I'd rather be watching Bournemouth and Watford than that whole team. Well, it's interesting because they've been actually compared to Middlesbrough. They're playing Middlesbrough on Saturday as well. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting contest because obviously Middlesbrough didn't quite make the mark. And they did very well to start off with. They've backed off a little bit now. But, you know, there seems to be a little bit of a battle between Hull... Burnley, Borough, Derby at the top there to actually, and Brighton as well. I was I was trying to think of what team Hull reminded me of most last season, and Middlesbrough I considered, but I went with Ipswich in the end. Um, functional Mick McCarthy versus Steve Bruce turn, turning out teams booting the ball to a left winger towering over a right back. Interesting. Look, so moving on from the the whole game. Let's just just want to talk about something else which was quite interesting, which was Rasmus Ankerson. He was chatting on Sky. Um, that QBR game, going back to the QBR game, is probably the first Sky game that I've ever watched. I've, I've actually like, recorded loads, but I've actually not ever watched any of them back. So it's the first one I've actually watched back, and I sort of saw the, the, the build-up and that. And Rasmus Ankerson, who decided to talk about the ethos of, of Brentford, something that they've been trying to get across, because obviously... In the early days, what's happened is that they, they put out a story. It all went a bit horribly wrong. And so the story they put out, and they've been spending the last year and a half or a year or so trying to kind of pull back the remnants of what they put out there because, you know, the PR, as we know, hasn't been great 
um, within the club, and this is not a disrespect on any particular person. They've all admitted it, that the PR isn't really great. So they've gone out there, and I think they've used this opportunity to try and tell a story about Brentford, what we're doing. They've explained a little bit about the stats. They've explained about the balance between stats and traditional scouting, all this kind of stuff that's gone out there. But what I thought was very interesting was, uh, maybe it wasn't that interesting, is when Rasmus talked about the fact that he said, look, this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're doing the stats thing. And uh, we're not deviating from it. This is this is where we're going. So it's almost like if you don't like it, you know, see you later. And uh, Tommy Smith also talked about it, and he was mentioning the fact that he brought a couple of the players were a little bit dubious about it towards the end of the season as well, which I thought was like, well, that's quite interesting. But you know, he's, he, he didn't totally agree with it. But he said, I understand where it comes from. Now the reason why I'm bringing this up because you know we have a situation where we sit down, we support the club. The club has turned around and said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we believe it's going to go forward. And, you know, it's, it's kind of almost like you kind of got, you know, if you're with the club, you've got to go with, go with the right. I mean, what, what, what are you saying, mate? I, I thought the Rasmus thing was all in the editing, to be honest. I thought the last thing Sky wanted was Rasmus to come across as somebody that maybe felt that there was a mix of this and a mix of that and we could bring it all together. And I think it was it was edited. I don't think he hardly finished the sentence in that interview before it was edited to another point he was making. I think the media have an agenda with Brentford now and everything has to perpetuate that agenda. Um, I, I, I would love to... I, I remember Carsley was asked about how many tweets and texts he gets before half-time with his KPIs and, and he looked like he didn't know what he was on about. I, I think we've pulled it back a little bit. I agree it gives us a competitive advantage and looking at those figures on budgets we need a competitive advantage uh, we do scout traditionally it's brilliant that we can identify people that other people haven't heard of and hold a second I'm just interrupting here because obviously we've talked about um, Swift yeah. who I know they were jumping Woods. up and down they got Swift they got Woods Canos. they got Canos as well they were absolutely jumping up and down but I was going to say and perhaps I shouldn't I can understand why no one had heard of Doggy or Kirschbaumer but the proof will be in the pudding I think the problem was we had to, because of the injuries, we had to throw too many in too quickly and they, they were going to sink or swim and they all sank because they didn't have experience around them. Put them in in ones and twos, which is what's happening. Bring them off the bench. Kirschbaumers look good off the bench. Hoffman's look good off the bench. Bebe's look good off the bench. I don't really want any of them starting at the moment. But, so it's a, you know, a qualified yes for me. I've got a question as well. Um, just, we're just talking about this stats thing. You know, we, we try to pull away from the stats thing because at the end of the day, to me, I'm thinking is that if they identify a player from whichever method, the talk should be he's a brilliant midfielder, he battles really well, he passes the ball, he's, you know, he, he, he makes most of his passes. That's the talk that we understand. You know, KPIs and, and blah and this factor. That's kind of like, it's really, but it's kind of quite geek talk. And we actually understand he's a great battler. He passes the ball well. He, he makes connects. He scores lots of goals. You know, that's kind of, and I think that's where we need to talk about. But just coming back to the stats, because people sort of laugh about us and Brentford. And I was sort of doodling around a little bit, and I found that little bit of information, and I'm just going to ask you boys, did you know this? Did you know that Arsenal, Arsenal FC, had actually bought a company, right, a stats company called Stats DNA? It's called Stat DNA, right? And a specific, absolutely dedicated stats company who, like Smart Odds, are dedicated to do that. So Arsenal bought them for about two, two and a half million pounds, 
about four years ago. They haven't really used them as yet because I don't think they know what to do with it. They haven't decided to go in for it fully. But Arsenal and Brentford are the only two clubs that are actually trying to do that. Did you, did you know that? I had heard it, but I didn't know what they were doing with it. But it's the way forward. And it's, it's the only way that we can compete. But we, the, the, the proof of the pudding is whether we sign good players. The players we sign can actually get there. And hopefully they will. There's a, there's a point, isn't there, around um, you know players after the game against QPR understanding what it means to play for Brentford understanding what the rivalry means understanding what it means to be in that ground uh, Griffin Park with all the history and everything else with it playing against QPR trying to get you know trying to get a, a victory against a team we haven't been for 50 years I think you can you can analyse players for all the stats in the world but until they actually experience what that kind of thing is about until they can run out and, and you know call upon that experience when they come into the next game that, that tough away game against whoever um that only happens over time so you can't parachute players in depending on how they've done in the Austrian league or in the uh, German league whatever second division you've got to nurture them you've got to bring them in slowly but surely you've got to drip feed them in um, and I think that under Dijkhausen possibly we tried to parachute too many in maybe he was looking at trying to please too many people up above who like you know force some of their signings on him um, who knows what I will say is that I'm interested in why Carsley doesn't want the job on a permanent basis. Um, I understand his preference working with academy players. I do think about to what extent that job at Brentford is considered not a poison chalice, but a very, very difficult job to be in as a traditional football man or football football manager um, because of everything it entails. Well, what I'll say to you is that, and I, I don't know, but maybe there also may be family issues where maybe the life that he's got at the moment now works with the family issues and sometimes people have to balance their family life with their work life and maybe if you actually become a Brentford manager, that balance might shift. Ian? I was going to say, I think, you know, I totally understand why we have to do things differently we're a smaller company, some of these company parachute payments. What we missed in the summer was signing players with championship experience. We saw all these players that we scouted wherever, none of them played the championship before, they played differently, they didn't know what it was like. And that's what it was down early in the season. We lost we lost five, six players playing there for a season, played England for a season, and they didn't know what it was like playing football. And that was why we were struggling. And the championship is probably about the fourth or fifth toughest league in Europe. You know, it's high quality. And you get some of these players like Bieland and, and Vive who are coming over and Hoffman saying, we did not believe how good this league was and more importantly, how tough it is. And they just don't know what day it is. The only thing I would say is that I suspect experienced championship players that you make money that you will potentially make money on are going to cost a lot of money and you've only got to look at how much we sold Odebaju for um, and how much we sold Gray for to see that and part of this model is you bring players in and you and you have the opportunity to sell them on for for more money I, I, I'm not sure we're in the market to buy experienced championship players well, maybe if you've got championship players you played in English football, because you know, our, our good run, Woods has started, McCormack started, you know, Swift's coming from Chelsea, he played at Rotherham last season. Those who are maybe used to playing in England, maybe not championship, playing in the English league, as opposed to some of the other, the other countries. But when you saw last season when we brought in the Odd Badgers, the Hogan's, the Grays, Pritchard, young players that have great potential.
Everton might not have played in the championship and I thought that was the route forward so to, to sign a Swift to sign a Woods I think that, that's, the, that's the way that we should be going and you know I agree I mean you look at Middlesbrough last year Clayton and Ledbetter managed the whole midfield they ran the games but these are 27 28 29 year old players who have been around for 10 years they're going to cost 5 million each you can't do that So, there's been a huge debate on continental players, we like to call them. Some other people say foreign players, but we like to say continental players. Greville is our stat man, and Greville's come up with all sorts of stats on foreign players. Well, not so much stats, but we noticed that Rafael Calve left the club uh, with a whimper a day or so ago. I don't think we'd even recognise him if he walked past us in the pub. But I would do actually because he, 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 <laughs> he was in the Come On You Brentford video. Oh, you know right. what I'm saying? So he was there for it then. But you know, we all look at the current bunch and we think some of them haven't settled down. But look at Patinho last year. And you'll think about it, you know, a 21 year old kid probably hasn't played abroad, thrown into a new environment. How do you expect him to settle down? Particularly as he was being played as a lone striker. Um, Harvey Venter, another one. Who is the interesting one? Who is Harvey Venter? Exactly, who is Harvey Venter? <laughs> he was brought over as our young, emerging 35-year-old right back yes. a couple of years ago. But I think he was there more as a stalking horse to try and attract other Spanish players over. A bit like Tabar is like a non-playing footballer now to look after the Spaniards. Well, the one Spaniard now. Yes. Perhaps he puts his plaster cast on for him. But, you know, it takes time. Look at John Bottigieg. I know some of you might remember the, the Maltese Stallion. Yes. Uh, I don't know if Mrs. Perriman does, or we not going Listen, listen. Our lawyers are listening at the moment now, and they said that you should stop immediately. Right, I stop immediately. He was a very good tenant. Yes. All. He was a lovely footballer. But why did Brentford buy a sweeper when they play 4-2-4? Someone tell me that one. Anyone got any views on John Butterjee? So we have to be patient with these guys. Tim Balkerstein, look at him. An absolute stallion when he came on loan. As soon as we sign him, he's a whimper and he's released. You know, these guys take time to settle down. And I suspect in a year, in about a year, we'll be looking at a few new heroes. It could be Goggier, it could be Kirschbaum, it could be Hoffman. Who knows? Greville's getting excited. I mean, let's talk about the continental players. I mean, let's just cast our mind back. I mean, one of the continental players we used to love was Lorenzo Pinamonte. Uh, yeah, only, yeah. Only because he had a, a fantastic name. He was like he did, he did. But he, he was exotic at a time when 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 we were playing, you know, in lower league football. And he came in, and I desperately wanted him to do well. And um, and, I, and and it's strange, but I always have maybe a different opinion to some of the listeners. Is that I love when we get foreign players in. Um, I always t- Thomas, give me Thomas Pino over Eddie Hutchinson any day of the week. It's really funny because there's when you, I talked to um, um, talked to a couple of the players as well, and, and, and uh, we were talking about uh, Pinamonte, and uh, we say to them, oh, "I remember Lorenzo Pinamonte." And he goes, "He was a bit of a lad, wasn't he?" You know what I'm and that's the thought about him because apparently he was a little bit of a, I think maybe a, bit of a ladies' man, you know. He came over here, you know. I think I think actually I went out clubbing with Lorenzo Pilamonte <laughs> one night with Lorenzo Pilamonte and Marcus Bent and all sorts of character Brentford players, and it was a bit of a night. And Inga Marson as well. I thought they were at the same time, so they're all out there at the same. So 
I mean, any, any foreign players that spring to mind for you? Hilda uh, Hiradison, for me. I've been with us for about a year. Brilliant. What a fantastic player. And I, think, I don't know if it was you, Billy. A load of people went out to watch him play for Iceland in France. That's right. Remember that? And was it Chesney? It wasn't really our player, but most of the season... Obviously, you know, okay, but this this brings back to what we're saying about there's foreign players, right? There's, there's English foreign, like the managers as well. Like you know, there's this foreign English managers and there's English foreign managers, like managers who have actually settled in this country for a while, so they actually understand the runnings. But there's the players as well, and I think Horidison, because he played for Palace beforehand, he played here for a little while, so he kind of knew what the runnings were. So by the time he came here, he was like a a, a foreign English player. Was he an English? I can't remember what it is, though, you know? I mean, good yeah, day. I mean, Betsy Krasinski sticks to mind for me. Absolutely <laughs> legend back in the day. And I had the privilege of training with him as well when I was a, a little junior at Brentford. But um, that's, that's, that's for another day. Um, you look at players like Diagora. I mean, you know, foreigner, but has been here for many years, cut his teeth, you know, at different clubs, come through youth systems, all the rest of it. I think, um, you know... Players from overseas bring a certain perspective, a certain kind of uh, je ne sais quoi to um, the way that uh, Brentford okay. line up. Very good. That's very continental. <laughs> <laughs> Who remembers Jean-Philippe Jabbery? I remember Jabbery. Hey. Nutcase. Yes, yes. The £150,000 splurged on him by Ron Nodes because he'd played for... He'd had a trial at Barcelona rather than played for Barcelona. Yes, of course. And he was the one that was sacked, I think, for fighting with Tony Folan in a reserve match with Cheltenham. Something like that. Someone else might remember him. Because Tony Folan scored from the halfway line. Yeah. yeah. It was also Dirk Hebel, a German striker. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him, yeah. yeah. Not, not didn't really do much. He was our only foreign player at the time. No, no, I, I quite like the, uh, the, the, the the German that we had. Was it from San Pauli? Yeah, he, he is. He was probably... Yeah, yeah, he was, he was the coolest. Oh, yeah, was the really he coolest. was the coolest. I think he's one of the coolest players ever to play for Brentford. What was his name again? The, the St. Pauli guy. Oh, and, and all of a sudden, all these German fans started to come over. Yeah. There's like, millions of them. Like, and, and there's probably people shouting at the podcast as we speak. Yeah. But I remember a, a brilliant interview with him where he talked about going to gigs of Brixton Academy. Yes. And I've never read another interview with a Brentford player that did that. And he also used to get the tube to training yeah. and say he couldn't understand why all the players would drive because the traffic was so bad. Marcel Egger. Marcel Lego, exactly, yeah, yeah, and yeah. also what he did is also he played on the pitch at San Pauli. He was a drummer. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was a drummer. So yeah, he played on yeah, the pitch. Yeah. So, and, yeah. he, and he only came, he came to Brentford because his, was, was, wasn't his girlfriend um, got a place at university in yeah, London or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Find football. me a London Not club. I want to go to London." What yeah. a, I, I, it's a shame he wasn't that great a player. <laughs> he was a fantastic character. Let me ask you all a question though: Does Lee Luscombe count as Lee. a talent? <laughs> <laughs> There's a song about Lee. Grant Lee, 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 Lee. Can we have a section sometime on why Grant Chalmers never became an international player? Well, he might have played for Jersey or Guernsey or something. But he, to me, was one of the best footballers that never really played for us or never played much for us. What a player. This is a bit of reminiscing. The younger folk here probably don't remember this, but what we're harking back to is the fact that we've had a number of international players. Some of them have been absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and some of them, I think in our minds, we wanted them to be good. D. Day Olubudi. I don't remember him. You don't remember him? No. Day Olubudi. Someone look him up. No. Another centre forward that we got from the Austrian fifth division. <laughs> Came from Nigeria or somewhere like that. Who made Clyde Winyard and Neil Shipley look mobile? Okay, no, no, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe uh, right, what, what I do is, in certain elements that you know, with certain players that come in, I wipe them from my memory banks, and they, they just don't exist. But anyway, like we said, we just, it's just harking back to sort of times and. 
Saturday comes again. Bees are up north, up to Blackburn. Last season we went up there on a Tuesday night. I had a very good Tuesday night here to be set. A few interesting pubs up there. We were very well welcomed by the locals. And a fantastic goal was scored by Hotter as well. Unfortunately, he won't be playing on Saturday because he's still injured. But we've got a raft of new players who've come in who've been doing the business. But Blackburn, they've been a little bit shaky this season. We thought we'd go up north, go and speak to Matt Riley, big Blackburn fan. He'll be able to tell us exactly what's going on up in Blackburn. Matt, what's going on? Uh, we are the subject of uh, financial fair play, so we can't sign any players. That's what's going on. So we have to no. sell our good ones. <laughs> and replace them with free transfers on massive wages. Uh, so I'm not really sure it's working that well. But uh, yeah, yeah. hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you say that. I mean, you know, Blackburn season, you know, you're not quite where you're expected to be. I mean, you've won three, you've lost five, you've drawn seven. You know, you've scored 14, but you've let in 14. So your defence is it's not too bad. You know, you're four points behind Brentford. You've beaten the likes of Leeds and Blackburn, but also you've lost to Franchise FC, a.k.a. MK Dons. Yeah, no point. <laughs> yeah, I've heard murmurings about Gary Bauer, the manager, and also the owner, the Venkies. I mean, what what exactly is going on? Tell me. It doesn't seem like a completely happy camp there. I think the Venkies, having messed up the club entirely, have been a bit better. And I mean, they're pumping money into the club, keeping it going, and all that stuff. Uh, Gary Bowyer is. We haven't got any football footballing identity under him. We never control a match or play that well. But that said, I think he. He's solid, steady Eddie manager. We're not going to go down, you know, with him. But at the same time, we draw too many matches, as you can see by the record. You, you just kind of read out. Um, we're still overly reliant on Jordan Rhodes, especially now that we, we've lost our, our other two players who could get a goal, which is really just dead, and Tom Kearney. Uh, and, and that's right, and the squad is tiny, so we, um, any injuries really do a damage for us. And, and, and also, any time you've got three games in a week, uh, like we have this week, which uh, should be a good omen for Brentford, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talked about Jordan Rhodes, ex-Brentford player Jordan Rhodes. We keep mentioning this, that, that, that he learnt his trade at Brentford. You know, Ipswich sent him down to us because they didn't know what to do with him. He scored loads of goals and we tried to keep him, but we couldn't do because Huddersfield paid loads of money for him. But great player. And, but I'm confused as well because I thought he, was, he keeps on seeming to leave and then he doesn't quite leave. I mean... Why is that? Is it is arcing prices too much, or yeah, I think, so. I think I think rightfully so as well because I think we should ask for top money for him, but no one seems to take the punt on it. Um, I think we'd want twelve million something like that. Uh, whether he could do it in the um, in the Premier League, I, he, he can score goals. He does it in the Premier League on Football Manager, so that was the yeah. guess. <laughs> so, I mean, but that, yeah, that's in real life, it might work. Yeah, we we sold Andre Gray for, I mean, it was add-ons and stuff like that, and I'm sure his price will be including add-ons, but we sold him in, a, in effect for £9 million. And uh, a lot of people had heard of Andre Gray. Last season, he was playing in the conference. So, you know, you've got £9 million for Andre Gray, you've got £12 million for Jordan Rhodes. I mean, it's, I know it's £3 million. He does score his goals. Surely there must be something else that's just stopping people kind of, you know, just going for him. Well, I guess it's... And you might notice this, if, if we play with one up front, he's not very good on his own up front. And obviously the way that Premier League teams, especially the lower league, lower Premier League teams play, they want to play with one, which is why I think Gestead was a better prospect and why he did get the move, because you can stick him up top. I mean, Villa are struggling, but um, but he'll get you a goal out of nothing because yeah. you can just bang it up to him. Whereas, yeah. yeah, Rhodes relies on service. And if you're a lower club in the Premier League, you want to play him on his own up front. Yeah. Is it going to work? I don't know. Yeah. So, listen, this season, you had Burnley back in the manor. 
What was I mean? I know they were in the bragging rights uh, for, for the first game, but I mean, what was it like to have that big local dog? That's, that's a big game for you, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's massive. I don't think people understand how huge it is, especially in Blackburn. I mean, Blackburn and Burnley are very uh, up there, out, you know, 30 miles out of Manchester. Very close, both in proximity, but also in, in kind of uh, what's going on there in terms of what people's jobs are and their work in the factories or whatever. It's quite industrial, and actually that game is huge. Uh, and Blackburn have been on top for years. We, haven't, we didn't lose it for about 30 years in a row. Up until a couple of years ago, we lost the, lost the first one for ages, and then we had to lose it again. Again, if we're going to finish mid-table and be rubbish, at least don't lose to Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I hear that. And, and talk about, you know, you say mid-table. I mean, I'm just wondering, because obviously I remember the days of Jack Walker. He came in. He was a multi-millionaire. He put money into your club. He got you to the very top of the very top league. At the moment now, you've got another set of millionaires who are owning you, but there doesn't seem the same kind of euphoria or the same kind of, sort of, kind of prospects that you might have. I mean, what are the real expectations of Blackburn fans? Well, it's a complete mess. Like I said, because we're not actually allowed to buy anyone at the moment, um, so that can't happen. I guess, in to be harsh, it would be good to have a manager who has got more of an identity and is taking us somewhere. Uh, with Gary Bowyer, he's solid, but we think, like I said, we don't have a footballing identity. On the other hand, it'd be great if we can get more young players into the team. You know, Sam, I think we have to work out where we are now in, in, in the grand scheme of things and actually we're back down to being probably about the 30th biggest club in the, in the UK and, and that's kind of where we find ourselves so look Saturday you've got the mighty mighty bees coming up you know having we lost a hull after four straight wins I'm just wondering how do you think you guys are going to play this one well I was going to say uh, up until the Burnley match we've been actually pretty solid at home not many people come to Ewood and get a win uh, normally it's a draw <laughs> um but yes, I think that would be a, probably a safe bet would be a score draw. Uh, but who knows? I mean, John Rose can get goals, but Brentford equally have got the potential to go there and win it. So it'd be a hard one to call, I think. I mean, and we talked about Jordan Rose. I mean, from our team, our team is very different to the team that came up last season. Like I said, hot as out. We've got a load of injuries. I think we had about 10 or 12 injuries, um, key injuries as well. So, you know, we've got a load of new players that come in from Austria and Spain, people like Jurisin, Kurt Baumer, Vibe, the Danish guy. Plus, we've got sort of, you know, a couple of guys, Woods, who came in from Shrewsbury as well in midfield. He's a good little player, you know. And then we've got the old originals like McCormack, who's uh, playing in midfield at the moment now, and the Dean, Tarkoski and Bidwell at the back. Um, you know, they're going to be actually doing the business for us at Brentford. I'm just wondering who else, other than Jordan Rhodes, should we be looking out for? Ben Marshall's a good player. This guy, this kid, Tom Lawrence, on loan from Leicester, seems quite exciting. Although he missed the guard, like a sister against Burnley, but he, he, he'll run at you and cause trouble. Um, and then Olsen, the left back, tends to play pretty well. Apart from yeah. that, the other on the other side of things, Grant Hanley is terrible, to be honest, at the back for us. He's got no pace and he's liable to get himself sent off and give away a penalty. Or something like that. So uh, if you get it here, I think you, you've got every chance. So, OK, cool. So listen, right, Saturday's coming. School prediction, you said you reckon it's going to be a draw, Bees and Blackburn. Yeah, I'll go 1-1. One, 1-1. One. <laughs> one, one. And I think, to be quite honest with you, I think I might go snaps with you as well. one all for Bees and Brentford for myself. But listen, it's been great talking to you, Matt. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll catch up after the game to see whether or not our snap selections have come off. We'll see. See what happens. All right. Thank you, man. So there's Matt Riley giving us the SP on Blackburn. He's a little bit despondent. 
but um, nice as one as I thought it'd be to be quite honest with you considering the record that they've had um, we're going up there on Saturday fingers crossed we'll get the result it looks like it's going to be a draw because they seem to be draw specialists however you never know with our organised bees we might come out with a little bit of a break and just nick one boys Blackburn on Saturday is this the, is this the recovery of Brentford do is Hull just like, we park that one and do we just bring this back this well, game back there'll be no pushover we did the double over them last season we scored six goals against them and they were they were very poor at Griffin Park I was very unimpressed with them but they've got Jordan Rhodes and if they play him up front I saw them take Leeds apart last Thursday and Leeds couldn't get close to them in 20, the first 20 minutes they're a decent solid upper middle table championship team and we'll do well you know but we've got a lot of players with something to prove like Alan Judge he, he, he had two spells there Jack O'Connell Hopefully, will he be sitting on the bench? Ex Blackburn player who they were very, very upset when they let him go to us. And we want to talk about Jack O'Connell. Just this is the Blackburn link here. Yeah. Jack O'Connell. Um, we actually met his girlfriend on the bus. Um, <laughs> no, on the way to Charlton. Uh, Alex Greenwood, we had no idea. Alex Greenwood, so we met her on the bus, come off the bus, we invited her down the pub. She moaned a bit because she couldn't go on the team coach and she was left behind. So which, which then drove past. That's who drove past. <laughs> she said, there they go, they left me behind. So we didn't realise it's Alex Greenwood who is actually England in- international. She plays for Notts County, apparently. Yeah. used to for Everton. And what's amazing is she also plays left back or centre half. Mirror image of her partner. So, I mean, uh, we can. I don't even can, know where we go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Very carefully. We, we can, you know, we, we, we can talk. Same haircut and everything, apparently. No, no, no. Well done. She's a lovely girl, and like I said, she, I think she was two minds, but she needed to get to the ground. Um, but just talking about that, maybe there's some sort of synergy there where. Maybe they kind of talk about tactics yeah. and, 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 and similar situations, or maybe she points out, you know, where he's going wrong. Perhaps they practice the offside track together. Who knows? Who knows? I've got no idea. But anyway, just coming back to Blackburn, this game is actually quite important to us, and it's also very winnable, isn't it, Ian? Yeah, it is winnable. I think Blackburn have been very inconsistent over the last month. You know, they, they drew with Derby, beat Ipswich, and lost to MK Dons. But oh, the Liberals lost to MK Dons franchise FC. Franchise FC, we don't mind. Yeah, remember that. <laughs> so. Neither, neither Blackburn nor Brentford scoring loads of goals. You know, could be a low-scoring draw. We're not doing too bad. I mean, they, they, bad, they scored 14. We've scored 20. I don't know, 20 something, 21. 20. 20. Yeah, there we go. But you know, which is good. So I'm not, I'm not cutting you no, in no, there. No, so no. yeah, but, you know, I think they're a very consistent team. Um, we certainly get something out of the game. I would say. I think we can go up to Blackburn with some confidence. You know, last season still, you know, fresh in the memory. Um, Next couple of games, Blackburn, Forest, Bolton, these are all winnable games for us. You know, you look at what we did last season um, and you think, you know, if we can go on another little run now, um, look at the whole game as a bit of a flip, um, look at it as a bit of a leveller, look at it as a way of uh, regrouping and seeing where we are and uh, going for it again now through November and, and seeing where we come out the other side. They're a funny team, Blackburn. Last season, they had the third and fourth highest goal scorers in the league but yet, were, were, you know, weren't anywhere near the playoffs. Um, so I, I, you know, I think, and, and again, Rhodes this season already got eight goals. So cut the supply to Rhodes, um, but go at them. 
you know, let's, this is this is winnable. Yeah. Let's take the game to Blackburn. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if we you get an early goal, you turn the fans against the team. Well, it makes you laugh is also Blackburn play your favourite style of football, which is four four two as well, Matt. Well, it was relatively effective <laughs> against us on Tuesday night. Um, dull to watch. Um, and, but you know, um, I think you, when you face against a team playing four four two, play play round them, through them. Um, you show your flexibility. Let's get the players. You know that, that, that the flexibility of having the three behind the front man, get them swapping positions, and I think you know that'll work for us. So, do you think maybe again, and we're just throwing it to the pot there, that maybe something like Canos, because a lot of people thought that he maybe should be starting a few more games. In, in, this, is an, this is an option. I believe. I, I actually thought that. Um, it was right not to play Canos against Fulham. I thought against Hull there was an argument to play him, and I think this is it's very simply because I didn't think Hull would fancy Alan Judge running at their back four, um, especially Dawson. I'd have targeted him, um, and I thought that we didn't really have anybody running at them. Um, Jurison had a couple of runs, but, I, but I, I love it when we attack with pace as they're like literally turning back, you know, counter attacking, and that's where Judge is at his best. And we missed that, and that's why I would have played Canos in that game. I think there'll be some team changes. I think Carl has already hinted that players are getting a bit tired. They've had a, quite a heavy um, routine over the last couple of weeks, a lot of games. And I suspect that, you know, there could be a start for Canos, might be a start for Kirk Palmer, who knows? If Judge is fit, he has to start. But I think he will mix things up a bit on Saturday. Do you, do you think they held Judge back Tuesday night? thinking he'll play Saturday um, I, I think it was more short term he wasn't fit he just, I mean I'm told that they were very dubious about starting him against QPR yeah, yeah. because he, I think his right hamstring was sore and then his left hamstring got sore in the game so that means he's, as Arsene Wenger would say he's in the red zone so we got two. We got two weeks after the after the Blackbird game. Is he worth the risk? Well, he, we might think so, but will Mr. Judge, who we want to re-sign for a new contract, be happy if we injure him before he goes away with the Republic of Ireland for those games? Probably not. So it's a difficult one. So listen, boys, I'm going to go around the table and to see what your score predictions will be for this Blackburn match. Mr. Westbrook, who I want to note as well, Ian writes for the programme, he used to write for the programme, he writes really great reviews for match reviews for Besotted as well, and also BBC reporter on the website and stuff like that, Ian Westbrook. I'm just giving you the plugs there, mate, you know what I'm saying? Can I say off that introduction, Billy? I think, um, as I said before, I think it'll be a low-scoring one-all draw. I think we're going to take it 2-1. We prefer playing on those big surfaces, big, wide-open um, stadiums, pitches. Again, if we can get a nick of goal, get the, get the Blackman fans um, booing their team, and uh, we, we can go on with uh, nick it. Um, I'm going to go 2-0 Brentford, um, early goal, the fans turn, and then Blackburn have to come at us in the second half and get another one. 1-0 Brentford, tight defensive performance, bring on Canos, runs at them, creates a bit of space, we win, and Jordan Rhodes are substituted. 1-0 Brentford for me, I just think we're just going to go out there, score the goal, do the thing, do the QPR thing and hold it back and they can't get into us, and that is just my gut reaction.
Let's North London podcast. It's been it's been nice. It's been it's been different. Did you feel a different vibe? Back? Yeah, there was there was, a, it was a slightly different vibe. A slightly different crowd yes. around us. That's you right. know, um, they stamped your passport when you came through the you know the checkpoint there. I was hoping somebody would get on the old piano there to your to your left. That was that was to be me. But I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't sort of record and piano at the same time. So maybe next time I'll try and cut it in. You know. But listen, it's been great having you guys for the podcast. We're going to get you back in again, and we invite anybody else who wants to come into the podcast you can come here as you can see it's relaxing it's in the pub we have a laugh we talk about you know Lorenzo Pinamonte and all sorts of stuff like you know it's really good fun listen you can check us on prideofwest.london besotted.co.uk and also besotted1992 is our YouTube channel check us out subscribe to all sorts of stuff Blackburn on Saturday is a big match we need to come back we need to come we need to destroy them end of story come on boys we need to give the boys our support from the West London zone listen they're, they're, they're from the North London Zone. Them West London boys, they don't know what they're talking about. Because this is the West London boys who are going to say the North London boys who are going to say, <laughs> so used to saying West London, like, we're going to say, come on, Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.